0: and socially significant. We go now to the pulpit of Mayflower Congregational UCC Church of Oklahoma City, and to the preaching and teaching of Reverend Dr. Lori Walkie.
1: Good morning. Welcome to Mayflower Congregational United Church of Oklahoma. No matter who you are or where you are on life's journey, you are welcome here. Will you pray with me? Arise, shine, the prophet Isaiah tells us, holy one. And it was just a few weeks ago on Christmas Eve that we held our candles high and promised to carry the feeling with us all year long. But then the bitter cold blew in, followed by the credit card bill. And on its heels, the anniversary of January 6th, with no accountability for the people who planted and watered the seeds of violent insurrection. Arise. Shine. Maybe Isaiah was encouraging us to fire up the bat signal and extend a call for help. No, he is talking to us while Isaiah was talking to them, his people, people who had experienced the loss of nearly all of the structures and institutions that give identity to a community. But still, the prophet said their light had come. So maybe it is true for us too. This must be what the prophet Amanda Gorman meant when she said, for there is always light if only we're brave enough to see it. If only we're brave enough to be it. Arise. Shine. Okay then. Thanks for leaving the light on, Holy One. Amen. Our scripture lesson this morning comes from the Gospel according to Matthew chapter 2 verses 1 through 12. Opening their treasure chests, they offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they left for their own country by another road. Here ends the reading from our tradition. May God grant to us wisdom and courage for interpretation. Many of us packed away our nativity sets last week. Mine is inherited, and it goes into a styrofoam box that is yellowing in its old age, which is concerning when we're talking about styrofoam. But the figurines do indeed get tucked safely away into their designated character-shaped spots. Mary... Joseph, the baby Jesus, and his manger, one shepherd, one sheep, one donkey, and in the tradition of my grandma Novella, a tiny porcelain German Shepherd named Spike. In remembrance of the dog she had while we were growing up, Spike, the German Shepherd, has kept watch over the Holy Family for as long as I can remember. There are also three magi bearing gifts, and they, too, get packed away with the rest of the tiny crowd around the manger. And this happens even though it is actually time when we should be taking them out of storage. The three kings, that is. The text indicates that they should be safely stored in the styrofoam until after Christmas. For the Magi do not arrive at the stable and see the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger in either of the stories about Jesus' birth. In fact, the Gospel of Luke doesn't include them at all. And according to Matthew, the Magi arrive in Jerusalem, the largest neighboring town to Bethlehem, after the birth. And Since we're talking about them, the Christian tradition has commonly spoken of three men and called them kings. But Matthew never says how many wise men there were or that they were kings. The notion that there were three comes from the number of gifts that were brought, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. The idea that they were kings comes from an echo of a passage from Isaiah, the text I referenced in the pastoral prayer. Arise, shine, for your light has come and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. Nations shall come to your light and kings to the brightness of your dawn. Then the gifts are mentioned. They shall bring gifts of gold and frankincense and shall proclaim the praise of the Lord. And you know the rest of the story. The Magi follow the star, have an awkward encounter with Herod, and after leaving their gifts for Jesus, take seriously a dream and go home by another road. The journey of the three kings, or Magi, is traditionally celebrated by the church on January 6th, and it officially ends the season of Christmas. The church calls it epiphany from the Greek meaning reveal. It is the festival of the revelation of Jesus to the Gentiles and the texts throughout the season of epiphany are meant to help us understand Jesus and his mission. While it isn't a part of the tradition for this particular congregation or many of the individuals in this congregation, many others celebrate epiphany big. The rosca de reyes, the wreath of the kings, or king's cake, is baked in an oval shape to symbolize a crown and has a small doll inside, which represents the baby Jesus being hidden from King Herod's troops. Before going to bed, children place their shoes outside with a wish list on top for the three kings, and in the morning, the shoes are filled with gifts and toys. I really, really wish this is how we marked Epiphany, I am always in favor of more cake. That is how I would like to mark January 6th with revelation and celebration, but it is not just about the cake. I'd rather have another focus on January 6th than the event that seems to have overwhelmed every other anniversary previously associated with that date. Instead of cake, Most of us spent January 6th marking the one-year anniversary of the attack on our nation's capital and on democracy itself. It was an epiphany of the worst kind. There was no revelation of hope for the world, but of the deep divisions in this country. We saw, again, the terrifying images from last year of smoke, the makeshift gallows, the mob pummeling police officers and forcing lawmakers to flee for their lives. We relived the day when white vigilantes, spurred on by lies of a defeated president, brought death to the Capitol, believing that they had just cause to do so. Current congressional hearings along with 19 states that have passed 34 laws restricting voting rights and impeding equal representation have offered another revelation, that these folks were not alone. So instead of meditating on the revelation of Christ as light of the world, we are waiting on the January 6th committee to reveal the findings of its inquiry into the violent insurrection. It does not take much homiletical imagination to cast Donald Trump as Herod, both paranoid tyrants who embrace the use of violence in order to remain in power and control the narrative. Our story begins in the time of King Herod. Only six little words, five in Greek, and yet they say so much. Jesus was not born into a time of comfort or peace. Jesus was not born into a family of standing or wealth. Jesus was born into a world where prosperity depended on the kind of law and order that would have stoned Mary for her pregnancy, and likely Joseph, too, if he hadn't married her or gone through with the stoning. Jesus was born into a world that depended on the kind of law and order that takes by force declares peace through violence, and insists on its own way. But being a power-hungry egomaniac isn't the only similarity between the former president and King Herod. Both of them are men in power who act out of insecurity. The collision of power and insecurity almost always results in violence. Fragile is a word that could be applied to both of these men, For Herod, the mere suggestion that there may be someone, a baby no less, who could threaten his own seat of power is enough to send him into a violent episode. Oh, how this story might have played out differently if he had been grounded, not so insecure. Trump's fragility continues to manifest itself in extreme intolerance of realities that do not fit his worldview. Oh, how this time last year might have played out differently if he had been grounded and not so insecure. The insurrection last year was indeed a revelation, an epiphany, It revealed just how deeply the lies and disinformation spread by the former president have so permeated the political ecosphere that nearly universal outrage has reverted to separate blue and red realities, as Peter Baker wrote. Despite the fact that not one independent authority, no judge, no prosecutor, no governor, no election agency, no news media organization, has found any credible indication of fraud on a scale that would have changed the outcome, and despite an extensive months-long review by the Associated Press of every fraud claim in six battle states targeted by Mr. Trump, which found that fewer than 475 suspicious votes or attempted votes were made, current polling finds that an overwhelming majority of Republicans believe that President Biden was not legitimately elected and that one-third approve of using violence to achieve political goals. It seems that there is no actual evidence that will ever change certain people's minds. According to Well, this is not a a condition that affects only conservatives or QAnon conspiracy theorists. All of us have a tendency towards confirmation bias. Those times when we would like a certain idea to be true, we believe it to be true, and we stop gathering information when the evidence gathered so far confirms the idea we want to be true is true. While some of the ideas that people want to believe are more deadly than others, it is important to recognize that we can all fall into that trap. According to researcher Phil Tetlock, as we think and talk, we often slip into the mindsets of three different professions. Preachers, prosecutors, and politicians. In each of these modes, we take on a particular identity and use a distinct set of tools. We go into preacher mode, when our sacred beliefs are in jeopardy. We deliver sermons to protect and promote our ideals. We enter prosecutor mode, when we recognize flaws in other people's reasoning, and we marshal arguments to prove them wrong and win our case. We shift into politician mode, when we're seeking to win over an audience We campaign and lobby for the approval of our constituents. The risk is that we become so wrapped up in preaching that we're right, prosecuting others who are wrong, and politicking for support that we don't ever bother to rethink our own views. What we really need to do instead, says author Adam Grant, is put ourselves in the mode of a scientist a mode of thinking that differs from preaching, prosecuting, and politicking. We move into scientist mode when we are searching for the truth. We run experiments to test hypotheses and discover knowledge. Scientific tools aren't reserved for people with white coats and beakers, and using them doesn't require toiling away for years with a microscope in a lab. Hypotheses have as much place in our lives as they do in the lab. Experiments can inform our daily decisions It means being actively open-minded. It requires searching for reasons why we might be wrong, not for reasons why we must be right, and then revising our views based on what we learn. It's possible that some of you are thinking that I am equivocating, in some ways saying that there are good people on both sides. When there are tiki torch white folk in pickup trucks running down black men jogging through neighborhoods. No, that is not what I am talking about. There are situations where it makes sense and is appropriate to preach, prosecute, and politic. But quite often, while it is easy, so easy for us to identify the ego and power dynamics outside of ourselves in today's text, for instance, and in the January 6th narrative, we are less likely to see it in our daily relationships between white people and people of color, men and women, in our workplaces, in family dynamics or economic differences. We are less ready to admit when we feel threatened. And while Herod and Trump had access to systemic power that allowed them to manifest forms of violence far more extensive than the average person, we each have power over others in some ways. It is harder for us to see when we act out of our own insecurity and end up doing unnecessary harm. To others and to ourselves. So, why does the church have seasons like Epiphany? Well, for this very reason to give us space for rethinking, restarting, for revelation, to remind us to lift our eyes towards the stars, to encourage us to take our dreams seriously, and to perhaps travel a new way. This is the blessing of Epiphany being a season, not just a day. This is the blessing of Epiphany being both something that happened and is still happening if we but turn our hearts and minds towards the light and see what it might inspire when we are tempted to take digs at others, clamp down in conversation, cling to assumptions and stereotypes, or assert power over others instead of empowering them, our spiritual practices during this season will be to wait before responding, explore our own motives, to acknowledge those places where we are insecure, And, to take a page from the Magi, to go home by another road. As we turn the light of Revelation towards the events of January 6th, we can see it anew too. For, as Reverend Tracy Blackman encourages us, when we remember the travesty of what we witnessed last year and mourn the lives that were violently taken, Let us do so remembering that despite those restrictive laws in 19 states, 25 states have enacted 54 laws with provisions to expand voter access. Let us do so knowing that now is the time to pass federal voting protections, including the Freedom to Vote Act and the John Lewis Voting Rights Advancement Act. Let us do so knowing that while many supported the insurrection, many more did not. Let us do so not made bitter, but better by the challenge of so many who lost their way to love. Let us do so remembering the words of poet Lucille Clifton, Won't you celebrate with me that every day something has tried to kill me, And has failed let us do so remembering redemption is possible when we live out love let us learn from the tragedies of our past and move toward the light within each of us fueled by the everlasting power of love knowing that love is the only thing that never dies it is towards this light that we are called and it is only in this light that we are all warmed. The season of epiphany has begun. Thanks be to God.
0: You've been listening to the preaching and teaching of Reverend Dr. Lori Walke, Senior Minister at Mayflower Congregational UCC Church in Oklahoma City. More information about the church can be found at www.mayflowerucc.org or by visiting Mayflower's Facebook page. Worship services are every Sunday at 10 a.m. with Sunday school classes for all ages at 9 a.m. Mayflower is located on Northwest 63rd Street in Oklahoma City, one block west of Portland. Thank you for listening.